the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris, and we'll be discussing a trio of starting pitchers embroiled in playoff baseball and take a first look at the catcher pool. And as of about an hour ago when they typed this up, the most interesting player alive today was Hyun Jin Ryu, and so we are going to stick with that because we already talked about Justin Verlander very, very, very recently. And Ryu was quite a surprise for the Dodgers this year in his rookie season. He was actually the 25th most valuable starting pitcher and 79th overall player, according to Zach Sanders' value calculator. Did you expect him to be this good? No, I didn't. Uh, I guess I fell in love with the radar gun a little bit too much because um, he, you know, he averages 89.90 on the fastball, and so. You know, I didn't think the slider was anything special when I when I uh, tried to video scout him, and um, so I thought he might be just a changeup and location guy, but which he kind of is. But it works in the uh, National League West. It works in that ballpark, and it, it sh- for sure worked this year. Yeah, uh, a three-year eight. He was actually better in the second half, and if you look at his xFIP in the first half, it was three seventy-eight. And then he basically decided he's not going to walk anybody. And he posted a 295 mark in the second half, just about the same strikeout rate. But what do you think next year? Is he going to be better or worse than that 25th best starting pitcher? Uh, well, I don't think he could be much better. The uh, swinging strike rate doesn't uh, suggest that he will um, – you know, necessarily be much better. Um, and uh, the, he was a little bit lucky on on uh, homers. Yeah, he also stranded 78% of base runners. So that's a number that it's doable. I mean, the league leaders are typically in that range, maybe 79 80%. So it's certainly repeatable, but it's not the type of skill that you could possibly expect him to have at this point. So uh, there's there's a very real chance that drops into the low to mid seventy percent range, which pushes pushes his ERA into the the mid threes. Yeah, and you know, if you look at his pitch peripherals, they uh, there are there are some things you sort of raise an eyebrow at. The only pitch that really gets above average whiffs, and this is why he has a league average whiff rate, is that. The only pitch that gets above average whiffs is the changeup, and that's a great changeup. I mean, it's a really nice changeup. Gets ground balls and whiffs, and it's a good pitch. But the slider doesn't get um, average whiffs. The curve doesn't get average whiffs. The four seems about average. They do get good ground ball rates, though. So, I mean, what you're looking at is basically a guy who commands it well. Uh, he has the same arm speed, uh, whether he's throwing the, the fastball, I mean, the, throwing the fastball, the changeup, the, the slider. So you can't really spot when the pitch is coming. And, uh, and he keeps it low in the zone. So, you know, he keeps, he gets grounders. I, I just, I, you know, it's okay to pay last year's prices if, if you only pay last year's prices and, and you don't get any upside. You don't, you're not banking on upside beyond that. 
because I don't think there's a lot of upside remaining. It'd be crazy if there was, but you know, I just don't see a second pitch that can get a ton of whiffs that can push the strikeout rate up. So he is who he is. And you know, if you pay the retail rate for what he did last year, then you're actually setting yourself up for to, to, to lose money if he, if he regresses. Well, you know what? If you believe in the steamer projections, and I love steamer projections, then Ryu might actually be the next baseball Iron Man. 269 innings next year and 46 games started? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think 46. <laughs> 19 and 15. That would be an interesting record. Um, yeah, I actually just uh, emailed Appleman about this, and uh, it might be related to our depth charts, so we may just have to clean things up a little bit. But I noticed it with a couple other pitchers, too. Yeah, uh, looking deeper into the first strike percentage you look at his walk rate 6.3 percent a 2.3 walk per nine which is fantastic and and he was very very stingy with the free pass in the second half but his first strike percentage was actually below the league average so you have to wonder that there's nothing really here that suggests that he really has impeccable control so you have to think that that walk rate is going to rise next year and if that doesn't coincide with an increase in strikeout rate then his ERA might jump further than a 340-350 ERA. We might be looking at a, a 380 ERA next year. Yeah, but you know, watching him, I, I feel pretty comfortable about his command. Um, and uh, it might just be an effort to keep people off balance because he does need to do a little bit of wiliness if if his slider is not always great, and uh, he's you know his changeup is his only secondary pitch, so. Um, it may just be sometimes he's throwing sliders on uh, for first pitches and, and they don't always go for strikes. So um, I think uh, I believe in his command. Um, I believe in his ground ball rate. Uh, I don't think there's any upside in his strikeout rate. All right. So what are you going to set the over under on his ERA for next year? I mean, I agree with you a little bit. I, I would push that. ERA up a little bit. I'd, I'd be more comfortable with an over-under at like 3.5. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we were talking about uh, Patrick Corbin before. And uh, we've got two guys that are somewhat similar, except that Patrick Corbin, um, his, his history of control is not as great. And his secondary pitch that's so great is the slider, which we know has platoon splits. So I would definitely pick Ryu over Corbin. He's also in the better ballpark. Exactly. And he's got the better team behind him. Yeah. But yeah, they are actually pretty similar, except I think Corbin's got a slightly higher strikeout rate upside than Ryu. But Ryu, uh, I think I would prefer as well in ERA. But but Whip, I don't know. I think it'll be very close. Actually, it's a very good comparison between those two. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain. I mean, I, I, I'm coming to this conclusion that you know, given two guys, one features a slider and one features a changeup as his best pitch, I'm taking the changeup guy. Yeah, I think that all I talk about platoon splits, we've basically fallen in love with the fastball changeup combination. Yeah. All right, let's move along to another playoff team and Lance Lynn, who it might be surprising that Lance Lynn actually has been starting playoff games rather than Shelby Miller. But maybe that's because of his September. I mean, June, July, August, his best ERA in those three months was 483. 
But he redeemed himself in September with a 212 mark, and I guess that was good enough to get him into the rotation. But when I'm looking at him in those poor months, I mean, his peripherals were basically the same as always. It was just uh, a reversal of the good luck that he maybe had earlier on, and his skills didn't take a dive at all. Uh, yeah, I hate to just like continue the conversation that we were just having, but um, I was uh, I was considering a deal for Lynn uh, in a dynasty league. Then I noticed that he's been using the changeup less and less often, and then I checked his platoon splits, uh, and this year. He struck out 27% of righties against a 5% walk rate or 6% walk rate, which is awesome. That's really, really good. And it's good for a 2.6 FIP. So he's really, really good. Against lefties, the strikeout rate drops from 27% to 19%, which is below league average. Although, for starters, it's still decent. But his walk rate doubles from 6%. It actually goes past to 13%. So... He basically walks eight per nine. He strikeouts almost uh, seven and a half per nine, and he walks five per nine. And that's that's not good. And the, the FIP for that is a 4.2. So he's he's got struggles uh, against lefties. And he basically, the way that he gets around lefties is by walking them. Um, and, you know, it works to an extent. Um, you know, there are fewer lefties than righties in the, in, in the league. But they're, um, you know, I think that, I think lineups will start to stack lefties a little bit more than they have. I mean, he he um, he saw fewer lefties than righties this year, and I actually ran the numbers, and uh, righty starters can can expect to see almost 50% lefties in the lineup, and that's because of switch hitters and because of platoons and uh, and the way the teams can change their lineups. So, you know, if he if he sees 80 more or, or 50 more lefties next year, um, his numbers will look worse. Yeah, and he was okay because of how dominant he was against righties, a 288 ex-fip against them. You can't expect that level of dominance. I mean, this is Lance Lynn. This is not uh, Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg. This is not, you know, who you think of as a top pitcher against right-handed batters. So you can't imagine that kind of success being sustainable. And I'm really well aware of his splits because this year when I was playing FanDuel, how I always prepare is I look at the starters, and I'll always then identify uh, whoever is facing them. So any bad starters against uh, and and whoever whatever offense is, is facing a bad starter, and I'll look at platoon splits. So obviously guys who stink against both sides of the plate, I'll pick up any hitter against them. But Lance Lim, if you just look at his name, you think, oh, Lance Lim is a pretty good starter. I'm not going to pick up any hitters against Lance Lim, but you would be wrong because he's been he was awful against lefties. And so I always made sure to consider left handed batters against Lance Lim. And you know, you have to consider his his history where he was uh, you know, t- ticketed for the bullpen. You know, that was he seemed like he was gonna be a bullpen guy. There must have been a reason for that and, and this is why. Yeah, that's that's part of it. And then and the other thing is that uh, any everything I said about his splits is true for his whole career. So now we're talking four hundred innings. And um, it seems like it's a legit thing. And then, then you look at his pitching mix and you see that the changeup, he's using it less and less. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a decent, uh, like, final pitcher in mixed leagues um, or, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of guy that you can keep on your bench and use for two starts or, or good matchups or whatever when he's in Miami, that sort of deal. But 
Um, I don't think that uh, he's a top-of-the-rotation starter. So the platoon issue actually gives him upside, but also removes upside. It removes upside because if he doesn't, if he basically just sticks with the same pitching mix, there isn't a whole lot of upside here, but he still has his value because he still has a good strikeout rate and he pitches for a good team. But it gives him upside because pitchers always tinker with their pitch mix and it's possible that he works on a curveball or works on his curveball or decides I'm going to throw my change up more and he works on that in his offseason and he realizes that he has issues versus lefties and he works on that and the next year he comes out and he's much improved against lefties, paired up with dominance against righties, and suddenly you're looking at a, a low to mid three ERA and one of the better pitchers in the National League. But that's, of course, something that you don't know it's going to happen. It just gives him the potential upside if he does make those improvements. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, definitely I'd be interested if I heard uh, or if, you know, if I interview him in the spring and, and you see in the interview that. It, you know he's working on his changeup, and he, that's his number one thing. Then that's that'll be interesting. Or if you hear it in a in another game store, you hear beat you know Nick Piacoro writing about it, or you know uh, any of the excellent um, uh, beats uh, for the Cardinals. Then 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 definitely uh, perk your ears up. All right, let's move along to another surprise this year, and he's actually pitching as we speak, and that's John Lackey, who is facing. The Tigers right now, I don't think anybody saw this coming. He missed all of 2012 recovering from Tommy John surgery. And all he did this year is revert back to the John Lackey that was really good for the Angels from 2005 to 2009. I assume he completely outperformed your expectations, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I even considered picking him up in some really deep leagues just because I figured he might be a warm body. But um, he's definitely done better than that. And what's pretty amazing is that we always talk about Tommy John surgery. Control is really the last thing to return. And here's John Lackey posting his best walk percentage of his entire career. I, I just can't explain that. That's crazy. Yeah. So his velocity was perfectly fine. It was actually his – yeah, it was the highest of his entire career. I mean only by 0.1 mile per hour versus 2011, but it was the best velocity of his career. The biggest difference, speaking of platoon splits, he threw his slider 30% of the time, significantly above anywhere he's ever done so in the past. And actually, this is an example of where PitchFX and BIS disagree. BIS is calling it a, a cutter, and he doesn't even throw a slider, whereas... Uh, I'm sorry, that's what PitchFX says. And then BIS says that he throws a slider a lot. I didn't watch Lackey much, so any idea? Those are the same thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I do think what's interesting is that slider or cutter, whatever he calls it. He might actually call it a cutter. The, um, the, uh, the thing that's interesting about it is that this year he's been using it um, against lefties, too. And uh, he's got a whiff of Masterson about him in that he's a four-seam sinker slider guy with a curve and the change is like, you know, he throws 30 a year. So, um, I feel like, uh, you know, his, his, his approach against lefties is to use the curve a little bit more and, uh, and basically get ground balls with the curve ball. Um, which I guess it worked this year. I, I just don't see, uh, a platoon busting arsenal here. And when I look at the outcomes, the only, 
pitch that has uh, average whiff rate as a slider? Well, he has no platoon split. So when you said no platoon busting, did you mean that you were worried about lefties or you're saying that he's good against both? I, I, if I was looking at, if I didn't look at his platoon splits and just look at his pitches, I'd be worried about his, his pitch uh, against lefties. But I guess what's happening is that uh, the curveball works, and maybe the curveball is a more up and down curveball and doesn't. Uh, yeah, okay, it doesn't have a ton of horizontal movement. So I guess the uh, the curveball is his way out of the platoon split. Yeah, I mean, he had always been basically a fastball curveball guy, and it looks like he's transitioned into a fastball cutter slash slider kind of a guy now with the occasional curveball thrown in, which is surprising because the curveball was always a very good pitch for him. But That's definitely down. And it's also surprising that coming off of a, uh, a serious elbow injury that now he's throwing his slider more often than ever before. I mean, you would think the opposite, that he throws curve more just so he wouldn't put as much stress in the, the elbow. But. Yeah, it is funny because Jared Parker did tell me that um, his team told him to stop throwing sliders during rehab for Tommy John. But, you know, Jared Parker was, you know, under team control for a long time and was like 24 or something when he got Tommy John. And uh, John Lackey is 35. Um, so uh, and he's only under team control for one more year. So I guess Boston was like, sure, you want to throw sliders? Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I mean, the bottom line is that nothing here looks fluky. John Lackey has done it before. It may have been a while, so we may have forgotten. And yeah, he's going to be 35 next year. So if we look at where he ranked, he was the 43rd most valuable starter this year, 129th overall. Would you be comfortable taking him in that same area, or would you expect a little more regression and you're just concerned generally just because of his age? Yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put him in that walk rate again. So I, I'd put him probably closer to his career, which is seven percent instead of five percent, or you know, two and a half walks per nine. Um, and he's never going to strike out more than he did this year. Uh, not, not again. So you're talking about a guy seven strikeouts per nine, two and a half walks per nine. You know. Really, he's in this group with Ryu and 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 um, and Corbin again, but uh, he has way more downside than Ryu and Corbin. So you would prefer those two over Lackey? Yeah, the only problem is, of course, those other two are going to cost more, and uh, because people are, will still think of Lackey as the old Lackey or the 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 Boston Lackey before this year. Right. Well, is he a top fifty guy next year? At starters? Yes. Also, yeah. I remember, his 43rd value among starting pitching was due a lot in part because he only had 10 wins. So he got terrible run support, which is crazy considering that he was on the highest scoring offense in baseball. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, I think I'd be comfortable with him as my fifth starter, so he's right there on the borderline, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely think he's a 50 guy. Uh, yeah. He actually might end up being similar to 43rd again because even if his ERA and his whip get worse, he should win more games in the innings that he throws. Yeah. So that's going to offset it in terms of value. All right, let's talk about catchers. It's catcher week on Roto Graphs, and 
we are looking at the top earners and the bust and everything. And for a change, we'll actually use the name of the podcast, The Sleeper and the Bust, to talk about every position. So, you know, give me a sleeper for next year among catchers. Well, um, I, I wrote about one today. I do like uh, Devin Mazzarocco, but um, I also like the one that you wrote about today, Wilson Ramos. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the way that his team played him almost every day um, down the stretch um, says to me, and traded away Kurt Suzuki, says to me that he's going to get a lot of at-bats next year. His luck's healthy. Right, I mean, obviously. Uh, but, and that's, that's always a caveat for catchers above others. But, uh, you know, actually I recently looked at that and I was surprised to see that catchers and shortstops do get hurt a little bit more than other positions, but not a ton more. So, uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, as long as you are comfortable with that caveat and you're not, you're obviously not going to spend a lot of money on Wilson Ramos. Um, uh, I, I think even with some regression in the power department, I, I like him for a decent contact rate and uh you know in a league where the the league batting average right now is 250 and catters the catcher's batting average is like 240 um i'll take uh i'll take wilson ramos to hit 270 and hit more than 15 homers there's obviously a lot of question marks going on with ramos can he really sustain that improved strikeout rate given the fact that his swinging strike percentage barely moved uh, is he going to hit a ton of ground balls as if he's Juan Pierre again? Um, and what of his 28% home run per fly ball ratio? But that matches up with his 310 feet of batted ball distance. So lots of question marks. But when you look at everything together, you think that he does have upside, if he can stay healthy, of 20 to 25 home runs batting at least 280. I mean, he posted a 270 BABIP. And that still led to a 272 batting average. So if he can get up to a league average mark of 300 at least, that's even upside of a 300 hitter. So I think that there's some real dark horse possibilities of him being a top five catcher next year. One weird thing is uh, the league average Babbitt for catchers is actually 286. Um, I guess they're slow or something. Yeah, uh, it's all the Molina brothers that are bringing down that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think he's a he's a decent guy. Um, you know, I there's going to be a lot of um, discussion I think next year about like Wilson Ramos, Sal Perez, Jason Castro, um, guys who were who would be in the nine through thirteen kind of area that are younger that seem to have more upside. Um, I'll take Ramos over Perez because he has more power upside. Um, and as much as I like Castro, I'd say Jason Castro is my other name as a sleeper. I do like what he did was he told me he's going to try and hit more fly balls. He hit more fly balls and he hit more home runs. So, um, I think there's something sustainable about what he did, especially since he told me he was going to do it. So, um, I, I, I kind of find that appealing. Castro versus Ramos is interesting, but, um, I think that, uh, Ramos is a better, uh, contact rate uh, wins out for me. Yeah, I think Castro, if there's any sleeper value there, it's just because people won't believe that he's legit. And I think that Jason Castro is legit, and I think he could easily repeat. I don't think there's a whole lot of upside left, but I think Jason Castro can definitely repeat what he did this year. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to regress the, the BABIP a little bit, but uh, Steamer's 250 with 17 homers. I mean, yeah, the plate appearances are off uh, probably because of the same problem, but uh, uh, I would actually take the over on the Steamer power, uh, which is 162 ISO. I'd take the over on that and uh, and say he could hit 250 with 18 homers, sure. Let's talk about Devin Mesoraco because he's your more traditional sleeper type of a name, whereas Ramos and Jason Castro, these are more guys that might just be undervalued but aren't a traditional type of a sleeper. But Mesoraco definitely is. And I wasn't even thinking about him until I read your article. And uh, I think the Dusty Baker factor that now he's gone, I think that'll help boost his playing time. And if he can get... 400, 450 at-bats, yeah, you throw him into that whole grouping of 15 home run, 260 upside. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really like about him, beyond, I mean, to be honest, like, he's a deep league catcher. Um, I don't want to get into a Lucas Duda situation where I tout a $1 guy and uh, all of a sudden people are spending too much money on him. But, um, you know, right now he's a guy you can buy as your second catcher in a two-catcher league. Uh, maybe you can get him for a dollar. He's a deep league guy. That's that's fine. What makes me excited about him beyond uh, maybe being able to just return that sort of value is that he was once the 11th ranked uh, prospect on Baseball America. And I know that was in 2011. That feels a really long time ago. But what that tells me is that you know he has pedigree. He was on the Baseball America list twice. Um, he was you know a top prospect of the Reds coming up all the way through. So. You know, he's made little adjustments here and there. His strikeout rate's better than average. His walk rate is average. Um, and he had years in the minors. We had great power. So, you know, he could put that all together. I mean, the one red flag I see with Mesoraco is what has happened to his power. I mean, he, when he was coming up as a prospect, he was supposed to have very good power for a catcher. But over 538 at-bats, only a 134 ISO, and his batted ball distance this year was only 274 feet. Now, obviously, as we saw with Wilson Ramos, batters do increase their batted ball distance, but when you're starting at only 274, I mean, that's a lot of hope. And you would have thought that Mesoraco would show more power than that. Yeah, I mean, here this is a guy who almost had a 300 ISO in AA one year. So um, I do want a little bit more out of in the power department. At least he... Uh, hits in a good park for that. And, you know, he hasn't ever gotten enough plate appearances where we would say that he uh, his power was it was reliable, you know, in terms of, like, um, it, year, inside the year correlations or whatever. Like, he, he's never gotten a big enough sample where you could say that is his true talent power. And, yes, if you look at his career, you can say, okay, 500, 600 plate appearances, 134 ISO, that's sort of reliable. But, you know, that's that's like three different seasons, 50 plate appearances in one season, 180 in another season. This guy hasn't, you know, I don't want to say it like this because it, it sounds like old school, but he hasn't gotten the full chance yet. So um, I, I, would, uh, I would love to see what you could do with uh, 450, 500 plate appearances. Plus, it is only one season, and we have to remember, only one season – we can treat that whole sample of his career as his rookie year. And how often do we see a rookie come up, their power isn't really there, then the next year it takes a big step up and it reverts back to basically where they had been in the minors. We see this all the time. So even though he's been around for a little while, 
and his career ISO is only 134, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. He still has that pedigree of a really good minor league power. And yeah, don't don't go nuts because obviously there's flaws here, but um, he's definitely uh, what I you know I put him in that bin we've heard so often the the post hype sleeper. Yeah, well, I'm going to inflate his value even more right now because I'm going to talk about his batted ball distribution, which if you look at his career, it's almost identical to the league average. And league average BABIP is, you know, 290 to 300. So I don't know why his BABIP is all the way down to 248. You know, there there's a slight pull tendency, um, but he's not... He's not a, I don't think he's a guy that will get shifted because he doesn't have the power and he's a catcher and he... Yeah, you know, I don't think that people will shift him a ton, but there's a chance he gets shifted some because he he hits ground balls, uh, he pulls ground balls a little bit. But um, I would say that uh, that is still incomplete, you know, and that can change year to year. And um, he's not he's not an extreme pull guy, so um, you know, I'd be comfortable taking the over on his Babbitt, his steamer Babbitt, two sixty six, and and giving him something more like a two eighty, but. Um, even at even at 266, if he hit 244 and and showed above above league average power, he'd be, you know, he'd be a good second catcher. Yeah, he does have that upside, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do with Hannigan heading into next year with a new manager. If if they just say, all right, Mezzarocco, this is finally your time. You're the everyday starter. Hannigan is the backup, or if they're going to go into it again basically alternating as they've been doing. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's also when a new uh, manager comes in, there's they look for places where they can make an immediate impact. And uh, one of the easiest things to do would just be to flip those two and make Mesoraco the starter and Hannigan the backup. Um, and, you know, Hannigan, even when he's going well, is basically a powerless um, 10% walk rate. So. All right. So when I was looking for a bust among catchers, I realize that this has not been a very good year for catchers. I mean, Napoli was the number one guy, but he wasn't that great to begin with. And so it was hard for me to come up with a bust because nobody had a, like, a wow type of a year, right? I mean, this this seemingly was a pretty poor year for catchers. Yeah, and it's only going to get worse because you're going to lose Napoli and Martinez. That's uh, you know, two top five guys. So um, everyone's going to be, you know – Feasting at the same trough, and uh, you know, I, I doubt that Buster Posey loses a lot of value just because he still hit 294. Uh, Carlos Santana had a decent year. I think he'll be, you know, the those two guys. Even though they rank sixth and seventh, I think they'll be the most expensive catchers next year. Um, and uh, I just don't see this as a position that you should spend a lot of money on next yeah, year. Yeah, I, I can see lots of people next year going with the cheap catcher route, which might actually make the top guys a bit undervalued, but we'll have to see. Yeah, you'll have to see how your particular draft sets up. But just in general, I mean, the difference between Yachty at 300 with 10 home runs and Salvador Perez with 290 and 10 home runs, you know, that's that's the difference between your first and your ninth catcher, your first and your seventh catcher. So um, I don't really see the need to, to spend a lot of money. I'll be probably hanging out with Castro and Ramos and uh, McCann. I mean, McCann, I, I think, uh, you know, could qualify as a sleeper for me. I don't know why. He only ended up 14th because of his lack of plate appearances. And 
you know, give him more runs in RBI, um, he's going he's gonna to go up that list. So I'll be hanging out down there. In terms of a bust that I saw that was interesting is Will and Rosario. Um, you know, he's a, he's, people love him because he hits in, in, in Colorado. Uh, but he had a he had a step back in power this year, and he had a crazy Babbitt that that pushed his batting average up. And I'd be more comfortable projecting him into like a 260 batting average. And if that's 260 plus 20 homers, that's only a couple more homers than our scrum down at you know <laughs> 13. You know what I think next year? I think we're just gonna rank the 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 ninth through 15 catchers, and nobody's gonna be ranked one to eight. Everybody's just gonna be all right. Every catcher, you're all nine through 15. <laughs> it's a group bag of catchers. Just close your eyes and pick one because they're all the same. Yeah, or, or we'll allow we'll allow ties in our rankings, and we'll all just have like nines. Yeah, they'll all be tied. You know, it's funny because I thought before looking at his profile that Rosario's two ninety two batting average wasn't that outlandish, and given his batted ball distribution, I don't think it really necessarily was this year. And I kind of like the steamer, 305, 276 batting average. I don't think that will pull his value down that far, especially if he, if his home run per fly ball you know, increases a bit. Of course, 17%, I mean, that's high as it is. And uh, I know in 2012, let me look at what his distance was last year, because I know in 2012 it was really high. Oh, wow. So Rosario this year, 285 feet, which is just barely better than the league average. Last year he was up at 307. He lost 22 feet of distance. That's yeah. majorly significant. Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, even if you look at, uh, I think the Rockies Double A is is a nice hitters park too. So. Yeah, it's Colorado Springs, I believe. Yeah, so it's hard hard to like um, it's hard to project him really. I'm just saying, you know, with a 24% strikeout rate. I don't know why Steamer gives him a 21% strikeout rate. I mean, I guess he's 24. Okay, so maybe he'll improve his strikeout rate. But if he doesn't improve his strikeout rate, then yeah, I think 270 is uh, is a better. Huh? 270 could be optimistic, especially if if his batted ball distance doesn't doesn't rebound, then his home run fly ball ratio could drop. He could become a, a 17 home run guy, and suddenly he's batting 250. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you look at his swing strike rate and his walk rate, I know those aren't like directly related to roto stats, but they're bad. I mean, he's he's got a bad approach. Uh, he he swings at everything, and he and he misses a lot. And uh, so I those are, these kind of guys make me nervous. Is basically what I'm saying. And um, you know, uh, I I I see a possibility of crater there. Is all I'm saying. All right. So I actually had. This was tough for me to come up with a bust. So I actually had Yadier Molina because he earned the second most value out of all catchers. And I just don't like guys who rely on a high BABIP and are basically an empty batting average. And obviously, he's got a good lineup spot. He plays most days, so he gets a lot of at-bats for a catcher. But he's over 30. He's relying on a 300 batting average. He basically proved with the 12 home runs this year that last year's 22 home run outburst was a fluke. And so, like you said, is Salvador Perez that much different than Yadier Molina? Not really. So I think comparing him to as the number two catcher this year, I think he's going to be a bit of a disappointment next year in terms of he's not going to be the second best catcher. And those innings have got to, 
have got to uh, catch up to him. I mean, he's often a guy who, who hits more often than other catchers, and I just feel like that's going to start. I mean, this year he got hurt, and nothing predicts DL stints than, like, you know, past DL stints. So I feel like he'll get hurt again next year, and, uh, you know, they'll be able to afford to sit him, and I think they will. I, yeah, is on my list. And then uh, another blessed I had is uh, Salty. Yeah, I, I knew I, – I don't know why, but I, I just knew that was going to come out of your mouth because that was the other guy I was going to say too. Yeah, I mean you, you said high Babbitt, and he had a 372 yep. Babbitt this year. And his power – he's power – he doesn't have like Rosario power even. You know, it's more more uh, muted. I mean it's, it's decent, but it's not, it's not no doubt. Um and uh, he had 14 homers this year. If he hits, you know, 14, 15 homers again and has a 280 Babbitt, he's going to hit 230. Yeah, well, you have to look at the steamer projections. And so the question is, is it more valuable to be a 14 home run, 273 guy? Or what steamer is projecting it, 18 home runs and 238? And I'm pretty sure in terms of dollar value, the 14, 273 is worth more. And uh, if you bet 238, that's going to kill his on-base percentage. It's going to kill his run scored, possibly hurt his RBIs, and also possibly hurt his playing time. Uh, I still like Ryan LaVarnway. And, it, you know, next year again, there's always going to be the chance that Sultan Malachia just hits his way out of a job. Well, actually, we don't even know. He's not even signed yet. Oh, this is true. I forgot about free agents. So if he ends up on a worse team than Boston, then um... – you know, I mean, there are crazy, there are crazier things that have happened. But yeah, I know that the Mets, for example, um, there's the, the 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 rumor is that they're that Travis Darno is actually attainable uh, for other teams um, because they're trying to get a bat in the outfield or something. Oh, that would be the typical Mets. Well, you know what? If the Mets trade Darno, then you can guarantee he's going to become a superstar. <laughs> well, they could they could do that and sign Salty. You know, I mean, there's the their thinking is that. They can replace. Uh, they can find a replacement level catcher. And actually, looking at it from the fantasy angle, I might agree with them. You know what I mean? It's like if you can get a guy who's decently defensive, uh, decent defensively, and can hit 260 with 15 homers, he fits in with all the rest of them. Yeah. So, um, I I feel like that might might be a smart idea. Um, but anyway, uh, I just think there's a lot of stuff in the air for him. And for a guy who strikes out 30 percent of the time, he's going to have to do. He's going to have to be Napoli in other places in order for me to be that interested in him. Right, and he just doesn't have that type of power that Napoli possesses. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the guy who several years ago was supposed to cure cancer. Do you remember when Matt Wieters, it was all the rage, people were posting things on websites talking about all the funny things that Matt Wieters was going to be able to do. Baseball prospectus had the crazy Pakoda projection basically expecting him to be the best player in all of baseball as a rookie. Uh, yeah, that was pretty funny, actually. Um, and I, I think they probably just overweighted. He had some really, really excellent minor league seasons. I will say that. Yeah, and then it's all falling apart because he's basically he's been solid, but he's definitely been a disappointment to I think all of us. I mean, this year his wOBA was only three oh two, his best wOBA three forty, and he's basically settled into a low twenty home run guy, which again. Is pretty good, but based on the projections, the minor league stats, I think we all thought that his upside was a 30 home run, 300 hitter. 
You know what? I actually I want to play devil devil's advocate here and uh, and push back a little bit and say that he might actually be a sleeper next year. Um, this, so this is was, the year, right? Thirty home runs, two eighty. Not <laughs> not that kind of sleeper, but just that uh, he was the twelfth ranked catcher for us, uh, and it was his worst year. I mean, if you look at everything, it was his worst year. It, uh, not his worst strikeout rate, but his worst BABIP, his worst walk rate. Uh, his worst power of the last three years, which is when he sort of established his power level, uh, worst runs, you know, second worst RBI in that in that three-year period. So, you know, of the baseline he's just set in the last three years, he had his worst year. So, if you just push his Babbitt back up to 270, um, you've got a 250 to 260 hitter with 20 home runs, and that's a little bit more power than the you know, than the down market guys that we've been talking about. I mean, he's a comfortable 180 to 190 ISO hitter. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, if he falls further, if he's, you know, if he's if he's there and I'm looking at Castro and Ramos and those guys, I'll take Weeders. I mean, just because, you know, I'm sort of faith casting a little bit on Ramos and Castro and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sort of believing things and saying, Oh, I, I believe him because of this, or I believe him because of this Ram- with Weeders, You can say, I believe him because he's already hit uh 260 with 22 homers for three years in a row. Yeah. And I'd rather bet on the guy who just needs to improve his bad bip than also has to see a jump in power because he's already shown the power. Right. Or, or bet on a guy that's done it for a half season and, and say, oh, th- you know, this means he's going to do it for more seasons. I'd rather bet on the guy who did it for two and a half seasons, you know? Yeah, so. and <clears throat> I think before the season ended, we talked about Wilson Ramos, and uh, I surprised you greatly by saying that he ranked, he ranked seventh in all of baseball at 310 feet with his batted ball distance. Well, well I'll surprise you again and, and add to the Matt Weeders offseason hype because Matt Weeders – ranked third in baseball at 311 feet. Jesus. Yeah, he was. that's a 20-foot increase compared to last year. So obviously that didn't help him in the isolated slugging or the home number fly ball rate department, but it suggests something. I don't even know how it couldn't. It's so weird. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that he hit the ball that far and his home number fly ball was basically league average. But it does hint at uh, a future power surge. And so maybe that 25 to 30 home run season is next year. And I think maybe fantasy owners are becoming bored with him because they're like, oh, I've given up projecting the big breakout. We know what he is. He's a 240 to 250 hitter, 22 home runs. And I think people are just getting bored projecting the big breakout. And it might make him undervalued while still preserving that upside that we always thought he had in previous years. Yeah, and you know, he doesn't – he doesn't pull the ball a ton. I mean, he pulls it a little bit, but he's not an extreme pull guy. So, I don't, uh, I don't think that uh, you know it's a it, this is a shifted situation. So, um, you know, he did he did change his batted ball profile a little bit last year, and that might have affected his batted. I, I just noticed that he hit more fly balls for the first time in his career. Yeah, but still, a two forty seven is crazy. That could be the precursor to a big year. You know, I mean, it just. If he, if he, even if he pushes that to a 260 BABIP with the with the same um, fly ball to ground ball ground ball to fly ball ratio, it really could be 25, 26 homer, you know, 260 year. So, um, how old is he? 
He is uh, going to be 20. He's going to be starting the year as a 27 year old, which is magical. Oh man, we don't we don't do that very often here. We're not we're not the you know huge into it has to be 27, but you know we do know that the peak is 26 to 28, and he's right in there. So uh, I actually might end up uh, owning him a couple times next bowl, year. My first bowl prediction next year, Matt Weeders is the number one fantasy catcher. I said this year I was right. One of my few bowl predictions that I was right about was Mike Napoli was the number one catcher. Let's see if I can make it two years in a row where I picked the number one catcher correctly. All right. But, yeah, if you combine that increased fly ball rate with maybe a home run per fly ball ratio rebound, because remember last year in 2012, he was at 15.5%. This year it dropped to 11.6%. So clearly he has those skills and capabilities to go into the mid-teens. So if he increases to 15%, sustains the fly ball rate, we're very close to 30 home runs. And, and that's ignoring the 310 feet of batted ball distance that suggests even better of a homer profile ball rate. So, yeah, I, the tea leaves are there. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said. All right, well, we'll get into a bidding war on him in Tau. Well, there won't be a bidding war because we're not in the auction league. But if we were in an auction league, then we would be hey, into a bidding war. who knows? Maybe we'll get it's funny if they call you up and uh, leave me down in the minors. <laughs> Did you beat the uh, the dead team? I don't think you did. I, I think that's one of the funniest things is that the dead team finished – where was he? Fifth or something. He finished sixth. He was three points ahead of you. That's crazy to me that a dead team can finish that well. I was really trying to get him, man. I, I, I used up every single one of my FAB dollars. I was trying to do two starters in the last week. I – I mean, I, I tried my best, and uh, I was very upset about that. But at least I ended up top half. Yeah, but the I funniest like thing, he huh? actually finished first in RBIs and stolen bases. That is so crazy. He, I guess he picked guys that played every day. I mean, that's 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 an underrated thing for, um, you know, I was looking at Hunter Pence's numbers, and he leads. he's like fourth in baseball in games played over the last uh, four or five years or something, and you know, as much as I didn't like him going into the season, he obviously had a great um, he had a great season, and, and part of that was he was there every day. Yeah, he doesn't ever get injured, and that's obviously an underrated attribute for for fantasy players to look at. Anyway, that is a wrap, folks. As we want to get back to watching the scoreless Red Sox Tigers game, so join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper on the Bus. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.